Hey, and welcome again to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. This is the next episode in a series about founder communication and leadership that we've been running with Next Few Ventures, SeedVC. If you missed the first one, go ahead and check it out in your podcast feed. NextView is also the creator of a very popular podcast that I love called Traction, and you'll find a link to it in the show notes. Okay, here is my next conversation with NextView's Jay Akunzo. Okay, here's the deal. An alarming number of startups fail because of co-founder conflict. Seriously. Noam Wasserman over at Harvard Business School, in the research for his book, The Founder's Dilemma, studied a sample of 10,000 founders, and his research showed that interpersonal conflict between founders is one of the biggest reasons that startups close shop. And I'll reveal a little bit later what that number actually was, and we'll deconstruct it together in this episode. Now, in our first episode with Reboot, Dan Putt and I talked about what to do when your co-founder and you have some unspoken issues that you've kind of let simmer for too long. And too often, we just don't openly address something. But how do you make sure it doesn't boil over? And how can you be more formulaic and process-oriented to address that conflict? Among other thoughts, Dan offered four tactics that they use at Reboot last time. So definitely go back and check that out. Because today, I challenge his thinking a little bit. I'm going to play a skeptic and kind of take on the role of a founder who's driven to go and build and not necessarily handle the the softer stuff, so to speak. And then after that, Dan and I are going to tackle a couple more big questions that founders might face when they have some sort of internal conflict between people. My wife is in psychology and and she talks a lot about how there is a certain level of openness or willingness or desire to change that uh, a patient needs when they come in. And and she does clinical psychology. It's all rooted in neuroscience. It's no longer, thank God, the like Freudian crap out there that people associate (laughs) psychology with. But, you know, you guys kind of play in the same like general ballpark where it sounds to me like, you know, because I want to play a skeptic here on behalf of some of our listeners. Like you might have a scenario where somebody really wants to solve their problem and they are experiencing conflict with their co-founder and it is about to boil over. And even all of those stressful, potentially like company threatening and like individual happiness threatening things, all of that still doesn't get them to the place where they're open to this idea of like talking it out and like retelling the story or using even simple exercises, you know, forget big flowery things like (laughs) <laughs> there, there, there is, we're, you know, we're, we're all so focused on practical stuff, even though a lot of us do have bigger missions for our companies, but fundraising, acquisition, you know, technology, what do you do when someone comes to you and they're rooted in that and they still have those problems and they're like close minded about, you know, the openness it might take to be so vulnerable to go through those exercises? Like, how do you get them there so that they can even benefit from your coaching? Well, if I was working with them as a client, I would be curious about what's the fear in having the openness and, and addressing the conflict. Um, well, so let's say it was me. You know, I'm people who listen to Traction and and next few readers and next few uh, social followers. They've gotten to know like my personality because I'm at the controls of all those things. And you know, I'm kind of a squishy, emotional guy. So this is definitely not me. I am open to this kind of thing. But let's say I was playing that founder. You know, I would just be like, look, I don't believe in that stuff. Like, I have stuff to get done. It's not a good use of my time. This is too fluffy. Like, I'm a cold-blooded hustler, entrepreneur. You know, all those stereotypes. Hmm. 
I have worked with people who have been very skeptical. And a lot of times people will tell me, like we, we do these, these reboot circles, which are uh, essentially peer coaching groups for entrepreneurs. And now we just opened it up to other, other roles within an organization. And uh, a lot of times people will tell me in those interviews that what they're, what they're missing are the right tactics, you know? So I'm missing, you know, just how to, to attract the right talent or I'm missing how to fire somebody or how to run my weekly meetings or my one-on-one meetings. I don't need, you know, to think about what's going on inside for me or get into that mushy stuff. I don't even know that I have time for it because there's so many other problems to solve. When you really get down to it, there's a tremendous amount of energy and resources being allocated to dealing with the emotional stuff, whether it's even just resistance to um, you know the squishy stuff because they are they're cold and they're hard and they're entrepreneurs and they're going to crush it. Um, there's a tremendous amount of energy being burnt there. So if you're just thinking very practically about you know allocating resources, people are burning out. People are unhappy. People are not really enjoying being a part of the organization. They're not giving their full energy, their full creativity, because there's so much sort of emotional angst tied up in it. So. I know I keep talking about the longer term implications, but I, I can tell you that the earlier you are, is, the, is every organization is made up of people and people are not just what they do. They're not just the ideas that they have. They're not, you know, whatever products they create. They're the whole, well, the whole person, there's the emotions, there's all the emotional pieces that are part of it. We can't compartmentalize. That's just not how we work. And so the more you stuff it down, the more you try to avoid it or pretend like it's not part of what's showing up in the workplace. Um, well, a question we'll often ask, how are you complicit in creating the conditions that you say you don't want? That's such a, like you are inextricably linked as a founder to everything that happens in your business. Because like the word you use there in a lot of very smart words was complicit mm-hmm. and complicit implies allowing to happen. And maybe you were active in allowing something to happen, conflict between you and a founder or co-founder, conflict between you and an executive, uh, a department that's struggling, whatever the case, you know, the stat that stood out to me, which I laugh, but it's serious, but the number was so staggering uh, in a bad way. 65% of startups fail as a result of co-founder conflict. You know, Mm -hmm. when you hear a number like that, 65%, what are some of the causes? Like, you know, is it just difference in vision? Is it a founder not scaling well? Like, what are the causes underneath that stat that you guys have uncovered and work with your clients to avoid? Yeah, it's a a great question. And and there are a number of ways that, you know, that conflict can cause a break. But there there are a couple of, I guess, key points. But um, one, I think, is really, and this is something that can be a challenge for us in all areas of our lives, is, is how we manage and address conflict. And sort of a, a quote that we hold and we often remind clients of um, is from David Rico, which is, you know, the, to be adult in a relationship is to not be conflict-free, but to resolve conflicts mindfully. Right. And so it's, it's at the heart of, of many co-founder relationships. You know, you can come as friends, you can come as, as being matched up, but there can be this, this tendency to want to keep things uh, friendly and professional, even in the heat of the moment, in the heat of maybe an accelerator environment or something. 
And the, the truth is that that is not a healthy approach to managing potential areas of conflict. And, and conflict is not a bad thing. It's a healthy thing. And it can, it can drive creativity. It can drive uh, areas of the organization, uh, particularly at an early stage. So one of the areas that we, we think about is really just bringing this level of understanding to founders that if there is a conflict, if there's a challenge, then talk about it. Uh, as Jerry often says, be fierce, not ferocious. And what happens in just regularly addressing those, you prevent the, you know, you prevent the molehills from becoming mountains. Yeah. So I'm, I'm um, mostly Italian. I'm like 75% Italian. And most of that <laughs> is uh, Sicilian. And so there's, there's not a lot of like holding it in with that kind of background. You, you, the Sicilian blood in me boils pretty quick and the communication uh-huh. starts to flow. So not only are Italians prone to speak a lot, if you can't tell already, but, uh, but we, we tend to, to take out, you know, we, we, we describe whatever's bugging us immediately. Um, <laughs> so part of the, part of the lesson there is, you know, don't wait, bring it up early. And I think, you know, some of the causes that, that you guys have written about in the past are things like, you know, when a founder or a co-founder of yours isn't succeeding in a certain role or when they believe the commitment isn't there, you know, maybe they're, maybe you're putting in what you feel is a hundred hour week and they're putting in perhaps like the perception is a, an 80 or 60, a 40, right? Like you're going yep. crazy and they're not matching that, whatever the actual numbers are. And I feel like right. so much of it is just sit down and put like the problem on the board or like, you know, whether you do it physically or literally, I think it's just a matter of like, how do you get to the same side as your co-founder and not face each other and be like you versus me, but like, here's a problem mm-hmm. facing our business. Dan, I think I've sensed a little bit of like lack of commitment. I just want to address it earlier before it becomes a bigger problem. I think I've been putting in a lot of work lately and I've sensed that you haven't been putting in quite the same effort. I want to talk about it. Maybe there's some ways I can help you or maybe we should move you in a different role. Like, But let's just figure this out now because I think it could potentially hurt the business and I also don't want to bury this. And if you just come like that, hat in hand, earnest, you know, and again, pointed at the thing you both share, which is hopefully the desire to succeed with your business, not you know, outwork each other or me versus you, hopefully that puts some of the uncomfortableness to the side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a really powerful thing to do in that moment in that conversation is for you both to reconnect to why you're doing this. What's the purpose of the organization? Why are we doing this? What initially got us into it? Yeah. And I, I love hearing that because so, you know, I joined NextView um, about two years ago and the partners had been building what is their professional baby together, you know, for five years and the second or third week we had a team offsite. And then, you know, I didn't really understand exactly what was going on, but I felt so much more integrated into the team. And then we've done those offsites every quarter since I've joined. And it turns out they've been doing that since they started the firm because their very first LP said, look, you guys are getting into uh, this big endeavor, which will last forever. You'll spend more time with each other, you know, than your than your spouses, and it'll last forever if you have your druthers. So, take some time and actually have an offsite and think about why you're doing this and tinker on the big picture stuff. And uh, and I was surprised to learn that not a lot of funds do that, and I don't <laughs> think a lot of companies do that in general. And and I think when you're at an early stage, you you need to be tight knit, and you're small enough where you can do that very easily. You know, it's much harder to to do that when you know you have a team of 100 than when you just have a team of five. Literally, everybody can go on these offsites together or you have a co-founder. Um, so it just amazes me that more people don't take advantage of that idea. And then I worked in a, very, a couple of very culture-oriented organizations and I was like, oh my gosh, every single thing about this culture reflects 
what I'm getting to know about these executives, whether I'm reporting to them and that's how I know it or the things they're saying in the press or the things they tweet or the photos they upload on Facebook. Like I'm seeing the corporate culture kind of seeping out of their person. And so I feel like you don't necessarily have to like think about every single move you do as a parent with your kids, but you need to like generally orient yourself as a parent to correct your child and make sure it's heading in the right direction. And I think founders are the same way. It's not like you can sit there being paranoid over every single decision and every single word you say, how it's going to negatively or positively psychologically inform and affect this business that you've birthed into the world. But you're still responsible for the general direction of it. And if that general direction, if, if you don't provide guardrails and goalposts for that business, it's on you to fix the kinks or the holes in that metal. No question. I mean, I can speak to this from personal experience, having co-founded a, a startup that uh, with three other founders. So there were four of us. And there was, as I'm sure you probably see a fair amount at the very early stage, there was an ongoing discussion at the beginning, who's going to be CEO? And we never really had a direct conversation about it. It was decided over an email, and it wasn't even decided. It was sort of dictated by one of the founders who said, you guys can do whatever you want, but I'm not going to work for anyone else as the CEO. And that was never discussed beyond that. And three years later, four years later, despite you know, having some real success with the company and growing, um, it ultimately blew up in between the four co-founders. And we, one by one, everyone kind of dropped and Jeez. then the company fell apart. Um, so so I, give me, you know, uh, let's, let's do a rapid fire to close it out because I think this is sure. really good meat here. So give me three things that if, if you sense it about to boil over, you can do to kind of diffuse the boil, lower the simmer, and make sure that things don't really fall too far, you know, to the left or the right, and your company goes off kilter. So you're, you've, you've resisted addressing this conflict from the get-go. It's getting to the point where it's so bad, the company culture, the product, the success, or just you and your co-founder's relationship seems to be on the brink of being not salvageable anymore. So, like, what is literally the first action you need to take, you know, really quickly in, like, a sentence? What, what is the first thing? I think in that scenario, you've got to have someone come in and support support the the mediation so to speak my suggestion would be bringing in an investor or an advisor or or a coach somebody that you all could trust to kind of hold the space and then initiate the conversation there got it um, so step one boom bring in someone from outside to mediate use an objective lens so there's not favoritism on either side of the conflict that's number one uh mm -hmm. number two once you do that what's the next step well, I think what I often see is people just aren't able to say kind of what's what they need to say. We talk to we talk about the three magic questions at Reboot, which are what are you not saying that needs to be said? What's being said that you are not hearing? And what are you saying that is not being heard? And a lot of times there's just a lot of resentment because I'm not able to verbalize some of my frustrations and some of the challenges I'm facing. So just having sort of either set or um, like set meaning, Hey, you get five minutes, I get five minutes or just space for people to speak and be heard. And so the mediator can support with that. But a lot of times they just need to get things off their chest. You know, it sounds cheesy, but I always recommend I statements. So I'm experiencing it this way. I really felt frustrated with this. When you get into the use like UJ are doing this, it's making me mad. Um, it tends to kind of 
amp up the conflict. I think what you really just described is like, you know, it's a media term, but don't bury the lead. Get right to what's causing this and address it in terms that reflect how you're feeling, not pointing fingers across the table. So that's number two. And what Mm -hmm. is like a third kind of must-do thing? Again, when you're on the brink, it's getting really bad and you need to salvage it quickly and effectively. Number three. This is something I've learned with Jerry, you know, in, just even in my in my uh, marriage, truthfully. A lot of times you just need to have the conversation and then either with some time or just some processing, then, then the, the answers become clear. So maybe it's even sort of sitting on that for a day and then agreeing to come back and figure out how you want to move forward. That's something that I've done actually in the past also in the startup with a, co- with a co-founder conflict is... Having that direct conversation, letting what needs to be said get out there, and then letting it marinate for a day, coming back, how would we like to move forward from here? Oh, what, I mean, and, that's perfect. Like you mentioned marriage, and I, you know, I'm, so I'm married as well. I feel like that's you don't ever address the conflict in the heat of the moment. You kind of want to simmer you know, for the stiff stew if you need to. But you know, if you need to go think, go think, and then come back with a, a slightly clearer head to more objectively then create the actions to move forward. Yes, I think that's perfect. Awesome. Is there a shortcut mentality to some of the relationship and communication management things that you guys do at Reboot in the way that there's a shortcut culture or a growth hack culture to getting business results? Like are people, people are everywhere you see on the internet, all these like tips and tricks and the secret to this and that. And it's all crap and it's all built on this idea of like i want to get to that point quicker does that mentality at all bleed from running my business from a product and marketing standpoint to the people management part of it and the relationship management i I think that the answer can be short and quick but the actual doing can be really hard so when in doubt be authentic and it's funny when i i did a workshop with jerry and we were gonna gonna set up an example to showcase something, um, how to how to really effectively ask questions for someone. And I was gonna just do this sort of fake scenario, like, hey, this is what happened, and I'm so and so. And Jerry said, No, let's tell a real story from Reboot. You know, when in doubt, be authentic. And it's and it and it connected so much more deeply with the audience. They 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 could tell that I was speaking from a real experience. And um, it is a heck of a lot easier than trying to remember the script that we had worked with. So just being, and it sounds very hard to pin down, but that's generally it. Like showing up fully as yourself, that means they're recognizing your flaws and your weaknesses as well as your strengths and your capabilities. And just realizing being with other people as a human being, you know, not hiding behind a role or not trying to, Whatever, you know, but that's that's my quick answer. There is no shortcut, but it's not as hard, at least on paper, as people think. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get the next episode in this series and all Reboot Podcast episodes by signing up at reboot.io slash signup. There's a link for that in our show notes. And while you are checking out the show notes, be sure to check out the link to the Traction Podcast from Next Few Ventures. 
As I said earlier, Traction is one of my favorite podcasts. Great stories with great entrepreneurs, really talking about how they scrapped their way to early results. My thanks to Jay Kunzo for putting together this series. Jerry will be back next week with a new episode. I am Dan Putt from Reboot. You've been listening to the Reboot Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you.